0: CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, which has to do with gene editing, and some guy in China was using it on people. And so I was like, whoa, that's a crazy story. Years down the line, I now have a talk show and I see a story about some people from NC State using CRISPR. And now they just shot right out at me, contacted them. And uh, here we are a few weeks later. They're in studio with me, Jack and Rodolph. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me.
0: First, uh, give me a background on both of you guys. Uh, you guys are scientists with NC State. I'm sure you teach some classes. What all do you guys do?
1: So I'm, a, I'm an NC State alum, twice over, go back. Uh, I'm a professor here at NC State in the Department of Food, Bioprocessing, and Nutrition Sciences in the College of Ag. I've been here 10 years, and I've been working on CRISPR for 20, so we'll get to talk about details and history and uh, current and future events.
2: And then Jack? Yeah, I'm an assistant professor and director of the Forest Biotechnology Group at NC State University, and of course a longtime collaborator of Rod of Barranco here, um, developing and applying innovations like CRISPR technology to innovate uh, the future of our forests, uh, sustainability, and productivity.
0: So, what this is all about is forestry, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as we all understand, especially on a hot day like this in North Carolina, <laughs> uh, global warming, climate change, and environmental stewardship are very important and they present tremendous challenges and those great challenges oftentimes require equally grand solutions and equally grand technologies and as you mentioned CRISPR which is an acronym that stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats is a mouthful so we'll just go with CRISPR
0: yeah that's, that's yeah that's good just
1: <laughs> stick to CRISPR here uh, is a very powerful technology to your point that allows people to change DNA virtually in any organism on planet earth so you mentioned the uh, the uh, story about somebody in China changing human DNA prematurely and and in an ill-advised manner. And here, given the challenges that we have before us and the great interest that we have at NC State and in the great state of North Carolina in forestry, we are deploying this very powerful technology in combination with other things like machine learning and genetics and tree tree knowledge and tree genetics um, to breed better and more
0: sustainable trees. So this is about making a tree, not necessarily finding one, but making a tree that works better for us in the long term.
2: Indeed. I mean, forestry to North Carolina is extremely important. In fact, it is the major employer of all our production markets in North Carolina and one of the critical components of our bioeconomy as well. So the reliance of our local um, um, industries and our workers on Uh, Resources that pertain to forestry is very important, so we must protect these very important resources. And one way to do that is through uh, genetic improvement. And there are challenges in forestry right now that current um, tools and techniques are not able to address. One primarily one being, as sort of mentioned, climate change, where um, the National Academies have predicted and projected substantial forest loss due to uh, stresses as a result of the changing climate. So we must embrace and develop innovations and technologies like CRISPR and machine learning and AI and all the tools and the emerging tech that's available to us to really secure, protect, and improve the health and resilience of our natural ecosystems.
0: So what's the work that you guys are doing to combat those problems? Is there a certain tree you've targeted? Is there a certain thing you're trying to change in order to improve it?
1: So in, in this particular study that you mentioned in the opening comments here, we're working on on poplar, uh, which is a popular, pun intended here, species. It's a great model for for scientists. Um, it's very useful. We know a lot about it. We know a lot about its genetics. We can grow it easily at speed and at scale. Uh, but of course, the findings that we have, at the technologies that we use, have much potential to be deployed in other species of more commercial interest. So think of pine, think of firs in North Carolina, very important to us. And then, of course, eucalyptus in South America uh, from a global operational standpoint.
0: And when you guys do your work, is there a certain type of thing you're trying to edit in order to, is there like a target you guys have right now?
2: Absolutely. So we've been working on um, a polymer called lignin, which is one of the three major components of uh, the plant Cell Wars. It, it is, I'm responsible for so many uh, physiological and um, economical um, utilizations of uh, forest and wood products. and um, the ability to modify lignin in ways that makes the trees not only more resilient, but also uh, facilitates the processing of a uh, wood as a raw material for sustainable byproducts like you know paper, like packages, like diapers, you know things that we rely on in our daily day lives. Um really facilitates our ability to uh, reduce the impact of these production on climate change, co- uh, carbon dioxide emissions as well as reduce the amount of energy and hazardous chemicals that are
1: required
2: uh, for these um, bio productions.
1: So so we can imagine that something as hard as wood, right? Knock on wood, we hear that all the time, transforming something like this chemically into something as soft as a diaper. Right? Or as as bendy as a sheet of paper is not a trivial scientific process whatsoever. And it so happens that it's also very inefficient because the hardness of wood makes it recalcitrant to biochemical processing and industrial manufacturing. So by genetically altering the lignin content, so we kind of reduce the amount of lignin in the wood, and by changing the fiber linkage between different chemicals that constitute the wood and make it hard, so to speak, we can preemptively soften it to some extent and gain tremendous benefits in terms of the amount of energy, the amount of chemical, the amount of work, the n- type of inputs that go into turning hard wood and it into paper. And then also we have tangible gains in terms of operational efficiency. So rather than have to take two tons of wood to make one ton of paper, we can increase that process Increase the efficiencies, and to Jack's point, lower emissions, save energy, and gain efficiencies for environmental stewardship.
0: That just makes me think of over the past 150 years, we've re- really figured out farming on a mass scale, you know, whether that's carrots or broccoli or potatoes. Sounds like you guys are kind of doing that for trees.
2: Indeed. So um, the interesting thing about forestry compared to agriculture, as you mentioned, is that forestry... Pretty much most of the operations, even today, are based on undomesticated wild-type trees. So um, innovations that allow us to improve our trees in ways that align with um, bioprocessing or production of these important materials could bring really substantial improvements. And just to put this into context, I mean, not many people know this, but when we convert and harvest a forest and convert it into diapers, for example, or tissue papers, Roughly half of those forests are actually burned into carbon dioxide in doing the paper making process. So, uh, what we show is that using CRISPR technologies, we could potentially reduce those carbon dioxide emissions by you know, upwards of 20 to 30 percent. Now, from a scalability perspective, if you think of it, from that about an a entire forest, there's a, really a lot of carbon dioxide that's not released into the atmosphere but rather it is sequestered as useful things that we rely on every day.
1: And, and to your point um, about scale, right? We think about agriculture and you know, like large fields of corn and soy, tobacco in North Carolina and others, of course, sweet potatoes, you know, many varieties. Um, but on, on a global basis, if you look at all the carbon on planet Earth, 57% of all the, this carbon is captured in trees that are in the forest. So if we really want to have an impact, if we really want to make a difference, and you think of trees as a version of vertical farming, (laughs) gaining efficiencies in forestry, getting efficiencies in tree breeding, and making that operation more efficient, can have a huge overall impact on our ability to manage carbon, carbon carbon sinks, decarbonization, and carbon capture.
0: Speaking with Jack and Rodolph, they're NC State professors of biotechnology, trying to develop a tree that would serve us better for all the uses that we put uh, wood into. Have you guys, so how far have you guys gotten along with CRISPR? Do you guys have like a strand of tree that you're working with now that's growing in a field somewhere?
2: Indeed. Um, The recent few years have been really exciting where our collaborative efforts and our group's collaborative efforts have resulted in over a 100 very unique uh, genome-edited trees that exhibit properties that are far uh, better than those that can be harvested um, or identified in wild-type or uh, natural uh, forest ecosystems. So these trees are currently growing in greenhouses and will soon be moving to field trials where we hope to um, harness and validate these benefits at a much bigger scale.
0: Yeah, how far away are we from designating a thousand acres of land and planting a certain type of tree in in mass quantities? Are we close to that?
1: So we're we're closer than people think, but it takes more time, more effort, requires more patience. Right, growing trees is a laborious, <laughs> slow process. Not, not a
0: two or three day thing. <laughs> it's
1: it's going to take years, but thankfully, you know, we are well along the path. We're along the way of turning that idea of using CRISPR to breed better trees into a lab reality. So we do that in the lab. Right, first, we do that in a computer, and then we do that in the lab at the bench. And then to, to Jack's point, right now, we've been able to grow trees that are you know 10, 12 feet tall in a greenhouse. Not one, not two, but hundreds. And then we're within months of planting some of those trees in an open field. And what we hope and what we're confident about is that the results that we're going to see in the field trial, in the forest trial, in an open trial, is going to corroborate the very encouraging, very promising, revolutionary, life-changing, life-altering, climate-impacting results in the real field. And, and once we do that, to your point about, you know, acres and then tens, then hundreds, then thousands, our goal is long before 2050 to be able to deploy that at scale at the tune of hundreds of thousands of acres. So it takes time to scale that up. It takes patience. It takes resources. It takes a village, literally, sometimes more than a village to get there, but we're well on our way there and we'll keep the audience appraised of our progress.
0: A lot of, uh, if you re- if you search CRISPR online, the gene editing tool, you'll get a lot of articles popping up about the dangers of gene editing people. You know? uh, Obviously, your mind can go wild on the dangers of gene editing for human beings. But with trees, it's kind of different. Do you guys have risks you run into?
1: So so, so, not, not really. And as a matter of fact, I've had the great privilege to be on the CRISPR journey and the CRISPR adventure and the CRISPR revolution for 20 years now. And I've been involved in the deployment of CRISPR in different contexts, including, as a matter of fact, for the development of CRISPR for gene therapies to cure genetic disease in humans. and And it took maybe collectively the CRISPR community, about eight years to go from a technology discovery to dosing the first patient. And the first patient just celebrated earlier this summer the three-year anniversary of curing their genetic disease with one dose. After that, it took us about two years to go from one to 10. And just this year, we celebrated a milestone achievement of dosing hundreds of patients. So we're at the stage right now where globally, thousands of investigators have combined their efforts to develop drugs that are now tested in FDA-enabled, self and efficacious clinical trials. Uh, Of course, there's benefits, saving lives. Of course, there's upsides, right? Health, human health and therapeutics. Of course, Mm -hmm. there's risks, misuse and abuse of CRISPR technologies like we've seen in China, right? So there's ways to irresponsibly deploy that technology, but the safety and the efficacy of that tech are so good that we're very comfortable now deploying this in agriculture. As a matter of fact, there's Pairwise Plants in RTP, who's launching this year CRISPR edited mustard greens. And I've tasted them personally and they're very good. You can tell the difference, right? Like huh. they're very palatable, very agreeable. Um some some CRISPR fruits and vegetables have been commercialized throughout the world, including sophisticated countries like Japan and the UK, where CRISPR edited tomatoes and tomatoes, respectively, uh, have been consumed safely by you know human consumers in the real place. And then, of course, this is why we're here today with the realization that this technology can really enable us not just to save lives in therapeutics, not just to feed the world in agriculture and food science, but also to bring this to forestry. And when you think about the number of people who can benefit from that, there's orders of magnitude of difference. So we're talking about maybe hundreds of thousands of patients for gene therapies. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people, maybe a billion people for food. And in the case of forestry, it could be the whole population today and people who will be born in the foreseeable future that will benefit from the longevity and the lifespan of those edited trees. So we have to have the wisdom, we have to have the patience, we have to have the courage. We also have to have the responsibility to deploy that technology not just in therapeutics, but also in ag and forestry. That's exactly what we're doing.
0: How quick is uh, the CRISPR community growing worldwide? Is there a lot of people who are jumping on and trying to learn?
1: So so the data is the data, right? There's about 250,000 labs in the world that are working on that technology. Um, There's about 50 different thousand authors that have already published work showing how CRISPR can be used in 40,000 different papers published in peer-reviewed science. And this is just the beginning. Of course, most of those people are working on human genetic diseases, right? Life, science, health, therapeutics, human health is very important to us. Uh, But there's a lot of upside in food and ag. And you can see that the growth data exponentially is indeed occurring and happening in real time before our eyes. There's a lot of excitement. Not just from a, a human capital standpoint, but from an actual capital standpoint. So organizations like federal agencies NIH is putting a lot of money in CRISPR, USDA is starting to put money in CRISPR, NSF is putting money in CRISPR, and we see internationally other geopolitically competitive nations making investments in the CRISPR space, and then of course the enthusiasm of governments and governmental agencies is being matched by that of investors, and we see people create companies and startups that will deploy that technology commercially.
0: And you guys at the start did say, too, and it seems like these would go hand in hand that AI is helping the CRISPR community really think through their options. How much has that impacted you guys?
2: Indeed, I mean, the advancing in AI technologies has really transformed our approach to being able to decipher the complexity of these living organisms, trees in particular. I mean, some of the trees we, we, we work with, such as, you know, pines and firs, have genomes or genetic makeups that are upwards of 10 times more complex that of a genome, a human genome. So then to really understand the genetic makeup or the genetic interactions um, of the different components inside of a plant cell, AI is really the way to, to understand and to derive meaningful uh, genetic information that can then be targeted using CRISPR to make uh, these improvements in the way that precision and accuracy that's never been possible before.
1: Yeah, to to, to Jack's point here, I mean, the the amount of sophistication is is unbelievable. So again, 30 Mm -hmm. billion letters in some tree genomes, 10 times more than our own human genomes, however special we are. Of course, trees can do things that we can, but that's a different conversation. Um, What AI told us in this case is that we went through a model that predicted 70,000 different genome editing strategies that we could consider to achieve what we wanted to achieve. What the model told us is that of those 70,000 possibilities, only 350.5% of them would enable us to actually achieve the lignin and fiber changes and modifications that would achieve what we want to achieve reduce the lignin, change the fiber composition, and at the same time, maintain the important attributes of trees, like their density, their height, their growth, and their overall health. So, without machine learning, it means that 99.5% of our work will be wasted. Without machine learning, we can't do that. Without CRISPR, we can't do that. And this is why right here, right now, we're presented with a unique opportunity to deploy very powerful technologies like CRISPR, like genetics, like genomics, like machine learning and artificial intelligence. That until recently, we unable to do to actually change the world moving forward.
0: This is all fascinating stuff. Jack and Rodolph are uh, professors of biotechnology right here at NC State. You guys are doing some cool work. Thank you so much for being in studio with me.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks.